Well, hello and welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is Stephen Robles, and it's an honor to be back here on the show. You might have heard me in the very beginning of the Apple Insider Podcast. And this week, I have Apple Insider Editor Mike Worthley. How's it going, Mike? Yeah, it's going great. How is everybody today? I hope everyone's doing fine. It's great to be back. I look forward to discussing all the Apple news. And we'll talk about later in the show how you can tweet at me and all that kind of stuff if you have some feedback. We'd love to hear what our listeners would like to hear on the show, maybe some segments, app suggestions, or how-tos, things like that. We'd love to hear from you guys. And so we'll get to that later. And again, we just would love for that to be a part uh, of the show going forward. So anyway, there was some iPad news this week, and we're going to be going through a lot of news today. I want to talk about kind of the iPad in broad strokes as we mention a few of these things. And Mike, I imagine you have an iPad that you use? I have several. Uh, it's If you remember the old Star Trek Next Generation episodes where Captain Picard had like 50 of them on his desk. It's, it's not quite that bad, <laughs> right. but it's close. Yeah, and so I'm I'm a big iPad user. I've liked the iPad from the beginning. And, you know, there's a lot of discussions recently in different news sources and different Apple pundits talking about, you know, is the iPad really a productivity machine? Has it gotten to the place where we can actually use it to do real work? And so just a couple of the quick news bites from the week. You know, Photoshop for iPad came out recently and Apple made a big deal about it in a recent keynote saying this is going to be full Photoshop for the iPad. And Photoshop for the iPad was just updated this past week to add things like object selection on the iPad and things like dark mode and stuff. But, but you know, I have an artist friend actually and talk to those guys in the industry and some of them use it, especially the Apple Pencil for some sketches and things like that. But they still find that for certain applications, you know, it can't be their, their only device. As so I was curious, Mike, I don't know if you have anything that you actually do on the iPad specifically for work or productivity, or do you have feelings about that kind of usefulness in, in real life scenarios? Well, I feel that Photoshop, I feel that like Adobe is being Adobe as far as the iPad rollout of Photoshop. I don't think there's a compelling reason for the for the feature disparity that exists between the computer and the iPad. Yeah. I, I just think that's more marketing than it is any kind of technical ability. And obviously... If you look at benchmarks in the machine, and I, I can already hear some of our regulars going, oh God, benchmarks, you can't compare across. Right. The thing is you can to some extent, because these are measurements of how long it takes to perform a certain set of calculations or how many of those calculations you get done in a certain period of time. Sure. So for something like Photoshop, this isn't something like you're going to be crushing the iPad processor for five hours straight or anything like that. And that's where the benchmarks start to fall down is long processing loads. Hmm. But the burst type processing you see on the iPad for Photoshop and other similar things, that speed is absolutely maintainable and absolutely controllable for the duration of those jobs. Well, and let's touch a couple of these news points and let me come back to it because I want to talk about some things that mm -hmm. I re actually use my iPad for specifically and not do on the Mac. But, you know, Microsoft also updated their app. They now have an all-in-one app, so they don't have separate Word, Excel, PowerPoint apps. They have one new Microsoft Office app for iOS. And, you know, this was an interesting piece of news early in the week. The uh, Instagram CEO made a comment about why there is still not an iPad app for Instagram. And this has been something that a lot of people have bemoaned for a long time. But he made some comments to Chris Welch. And Chris Welch tweeted these comments from the Instagram CEO, Adam Mosseri. And he said, Instagram would like to build an app, quote, but we only have so many people and lots to do. And it hasn't bubbled up as the next best thing to do yet. And I find this so interesting. I mean, one, obviously everyone knows that Instagram is owned by Facebook. Facebook has an iPad app. Their quality is probably debatable. I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I don't really mm. use Facebook or Twitter on an iPad. I feel like they're not doing great with those apps. But Instagram is such a visual medium. 
And I find it so strange because if you download Instagram on your iPad, it's the iPhone app and you blow it up. And even 10 years into iPad existing, it seems silly that they have not given at least a little effort towards it. I don't know. How do you use Instagram? Do you feel like you would love to have it on the iPad? Steven, I feel like that this quote from the CEO is one of the dumbest things I've heard this month. (laughs) Saying that they don't have the resources to an iPad application. Exactly. Yeah, that that's that's ridiculous. That's absolutely insane, and I can't even imagine that that statement was vetted by Facebook PR at all. <laughs> it's Ugh. now I've heard some arguments that from a advertising and sponsored post type thing, you know, people might not be as inclined to swipe up or tap through stories on the iPad. And, you know, maybe that's right, maybe not, but especially for the amount of photographers and artists and people who use Instagram to really showcase their work, the iPad would be such a great way to consume that kind of media from these creators. And like you said, like to not have resources while you are owned by Facebook, surely (laughs) you could have done it by now. So who knows how long we'll have to wait. Related to this, the the Microsoft app update, the the combined Microsoft works, for lack of a better term on that, is iPhone specific. You can load it on your iPad, but it is an exploded view of it. It is, it's like it was in the olden days when you would have whatever and whatever app HD for the iPad version. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm not sure why we're back to this. This seems like, a, this seems like a backwards move in not having an iPad application. I understand that we're looking realistically at 60 million iPhones a quarter averaged over the year and probably 6 million iPads per quarter averaged over the year. I get that. Yeah. But Apple's made it as easy as possible to make a fat binary for both platforms. Especially so. with Catalyst now and the ability to create an app across mm-hmm. all platforms. I'm mm-hmm. curious, hopefully the big guys actually start utilizing that. And so all this comes also on the heels of the rumors of a March event that Apple is going to be having, most likely releasing a new iPad Pro. And so here's what I want to get into it. So I I use the most recent iPad Pro. Mm-hmm. I believe it's actually the 2018 version. Uh, I use the 11-inch, you know, with the Face ID and all that kind of stuff. And I do really enjoy it. And I will say it can be an extremely powerful tool for getting certain tasks done. For instance, if you are listening to this very podcast, it's because I edited it in Ferrite on the iPad. And that is a specific task that with an Apple Pencil on a touchscreen, I actually prefer doing that piece of work on an iPad as opposed to a Mac. I just find it more intuitive and faster than working in Logic or something else on the Mac. So I think there are great use cases for it, but I really think it has to be done well. And apps that are specifically made for the iPad's type of interface with the Apple Pencil in mind. Is there anything that you've really like to do on your iPad and maybe prefer it over the Mac? There's actually very little. Uh, (laughs) My main device, I've made no secret of this, is my, is my MacBook Pro. Yeah. The, what I will use the iPad, my, my children on the other hand, really don't care for the Mac mini that they have in their iPad. Right. Right. With the Mac as the primary device and my iPhone and iPad as secondary devices, that's kind of how I use those. The, as far as the Apple watch goes, I mean, this is a corollary, but it is one far one device too far down the little old lady that swallowed the fly <laughs> kind of thing. It, it's yes, the nesting dolls of devices. <laughs> it's, right. So while I do have an Apple Watch and I do use it specifically when I'm the, on the road. Yeah. Here in the office, I don't have one on, and my iPad sits mostly idle. 
I'll use it to read in the afternoon. I'll use it to keep track of things a bit at Apple Insider after hours, after my regular workday is concluded. Yeah. But actually getting productive work done on it, I, I can't say that I do. And it's just, just a personal preference. I don't know about you, but I have found iOS, especially using the Files app. It's been pretty buggy for me, mm-hmm. the Files app specifically. And moving files around is such a base level task that you have to do in most projects you're working on. Move audio files around, Word document files around. and Doing that on an iPad is still kind of a pain in the neck. There's not a great way to do it. And while it integrates with Dropbox and stuff, I found it flaky, that kind of integration. And so I think, you know, what do we like to see in the iPad updates and in iOS 14 when it comes in the summer? Just more rock solid and better thought out ways of doing those kinds of everyday tasks that then lead to the bigger projects you're doing, whether it's you're working in graphic design and using trying to use Photoshop on iPad or, or doing something with audio. So that's something I would like to see, just a more solid and thought out way of interacting with the simple things like files and such. And for app developers, again, I, I talk about Ferrite because they just did such a great job on that app. To have developers, even the big guys, really think about how they're making their app so it is useful on an iPad, a touchscreen, and Apple Pencil input. So is there anything that you would like to see, anything that you think might make it more useful in your day-to-day work uh, that you'd like to see? Uh, the As far as the file handling goes, the, the apps that I use, things like Goodreader and other media consumption tools, rely heavily on SMB shares. And I've chosen apps specifically with that in mind. Right. I've made no secret of the fact that I have a Mac mini in the house sharing files to the various Apple TVs in the house and so forth. Yeah. But when I want to get a book, I've, I've got it stored locally and I get it off the local share with a reader that has an SMB share. But you're right. I would prefer the files app to be a little more robust and a little more cross-functional than it is now. There are, you can get network attached storage devices that have compatibility with the files app. Right. There's been discussion that Apple is going to have better networking support in the next version of the Files app. That's mist and vapor right now. It's hard to tell until Apple actually says something solid about yeah. it. Yeah, And, you know, so you mentioned uh, your kids before, and I will say, you know, I have an iPad for my kids, and they do a lot of schoolwork on it. And, and they do, they prefer working on the iPad for sure. You know, I have an iMac in the office that is just sitting dormant most of the time. But just a little anecdote, you know, my oldest son, he was trying to edit some video. And I really thought the iPad and iMovie would be a great way for him to get into video editing and, you know, manipulate those files with the Apple Pencil and such. And, man, I tried to get about 50 video files, small files, it wasn't 4K or anything, Mm. into iMovie on the iPad. That sounds rough, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, it was one of these things where it seemed, again, Apple touted this, like you can do SD cards and import directly from external devices in the Files app. And so that's what I did. I copied a bunch of files directly from an SD card into iMovie. He worked on it for a while. It was going good. And literally the next day, I go to open iMovie and the iMovie file is there with all his cuts and ins and outs, but none of the files are being seen by iMovie. And you can't play it. You can't export it. You can't even re-import the files so they're active again in the timeline. And that's one of those things where it makes me not want to ever try to do that again because it just lost a bunch of work. And Mm -hmm. to exacerbate the issue, all those video files are now mysteriously reappearing in my photo library randomly. I'll just have 50 video files that just randomly appear when I open my iPhone or iPad. And those video files are there, still not connected to iMovie, but they just kind of 
come back randomly and it, it is very strange so using yeah using cloud sync it sounds like i, I i'm not familiar enough with with iMovie on the ipad I, I would like to see apple decide to do something with final cut pro yes on the ipad yes. i would like them to see something with with xcode and i feel like the Xcode thing is inevitable. I would think so. With Swift Playgrounds, I really don't see where there isn't a path to them saying, and look, here's Xcode on the iPad. But I, I don't feel like that's this year though. I guess we'll see. But let me ask you too, you know, an event supposedly happening next month in March, we're going to be getting new hardware supposedly for iPad. There's this rumored 12-inch iPad, which is right in between what we have now. We have an 11-inch and a 12.9-inch. And so I'm, I'm curious what that rumor is. Is it going to Put both si sizes together. Are we just going to have one size iPad or there'll be an even larger one? But honestly, I've been extremely happy with my iPad. I do find that when I'm editing podcasts in Ferrite, battery life takes a huge hit. And I know it's because that processor is working overtime, applying real-time effects and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'd love to see Optic and battery life. Surely they'll have another processor and it'll be super fast. So that's great. But I'm curious about this, this size difference and uh, what that means. So yeah, tell me about the sources. Okay, so we all know that Apple had a 10.5-inch iPad Pro, and then they went bezel-less, right. and now it's an 11-inch iPad Pro. Yeah. And at the same time, Apple kept the 12.9-inch 12 iPad the same screen size and just cut the bezels down. Right. Great, right? right. Sounds, fine. Sounds fantastic. But this new 12-inch iPad Pro rumor came from a place called Digitimes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Uh, Digitimes is a strange place. I, I feel like their English language reporting is Google translated from the original Chinese. Right, right. And I think things get lost sometimes. Uh, I do not think that there is realistically a 12-inch iPad Pro. The reasoning I use is, well, Apple just did it with a 9.5 to 10.2-inch iPads, right. but neglected to mention that Apple had done it the previous year from 10.5 to 11 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the iPad Pro. And, and given that it's Digitimes, they, they're, they're pretty good at seeing things in the supply chain, but they don't understand the significance of it. So when the panels for the, for the Pro Display XDR started getting delivered, Digitimes called it for a 30-inch iMac. Mm. And that was just completely off the wall and out there. Right. This is the only report we've seen from anybody that's saying that there's a 12-inch iPad Pro coming. Nobody else is talking about a 12-inch iPad Pro. I'd like to take a moment and tell you about Masterclass. Masterclass is an app and a service that has some of the biggest names in movies and music teaching classes that you can then take and learn from the masters. Whether you're interested in TV writing, game design, and so much more, there's a class for you. You can learn things like humor and personal essays from David Sedaris. You can learn about scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson. I love him on the Cosmos show. And I want to tell you about a new class that they're offering that is really applicable, especially if you're a freelancer. This course is for you. I encourage you to take this new course by Chris Voss. Chris Voss is teaching the art of negotiation. I know, why does that have anything to do with you freelancing? Well, I read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference, and his advice for those in business is tremendous. This is not so much about hostage negotiation as it is about communicating and how to communicate a deal and working with clients. The video quality in all the masterclass courses is incredible. If you watch Hans Zimmer, you're seeing him in his studio and he's playing his keyboard and he's showing you how he composes these themes and melodies. You can watch it on your iPhone, your iPad, for the Apple TV, or just watch it 
on the web. I personally love to watch it on my Apple TV. And if I'm in my car, I can use the Masterclass app and actually switch between video and audio. So maybe if I'm driving to work and I can't watch it right then, you can still listen to the course just by audio. And for our Apple Insider listeners, there's actually a special deal and discount. You can get unlimited access to every Masterclass and as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off the annual All Access Pass. And again, I encourage you, you're going to want to take multiple courses. So go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider, and you're automatically going to get that 15% off discount. Again, that's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this show. So, Mike, we have some updates this week about the coronavirus, which I have to say, I've been following a little bit in the news, and it is crazy what is happening all over the world. There's that cruise ship where people were stuck for weeks. And so it's affecting, obviously, manufacturing in China, and so much so that Tim Cook actually issued a memo to the Apple staff. So the uh, the coronavirus, we're, we're recording this as we speak. It's Thursday. It's Thursday afternoon. And by the time we publish this on Friday morning, some of these figures and numbers might be a little different. So you have to bear with us, especially if it's like Monday or Tuesday when you get to this. So obviously the coronavirus is a story we've been following for almost a month now. Tim Cook specifically said that the response of virus has touched the lives of so many in the Apple family, uh, that Apple's concern is the people who make up Apple's community of employees, partners, and customers. Apple started opening retail stores. Uh, Mm -hmm. they, They opened with the first ones in Beijing, and now they've opened more. Just this morning, they opened two more. Right. Many of Apple's suppliers are closed or are just starting. Foxconn is saying that they're opening cautiously. I'm, and I'm doing air quotes around the word cautiously there <laughs> because they refuse to elaborate on what exactly that meant. Right. But even earlier this week, we had a note from Ming-Chi Kuo talking about labor return numbers with some factories as low as 10% of what they're expecting mm. right now, which admittedly is not their peak. Right. Their peak isn't really until May or so when they start working on the iPhone X equals X plus one for the year. Right. And and no, that's not the name of it. It's the yeah, iPhone yeah. 12 or something, right? <laughs> sure. But while it looks like the coronavirus is starting to taper off a bit in much the same way that MERS and SARS did, right. which are in the same basic classes, there's still fallout. Even if everyone got better tomorrow and nobody else died tomorrow, there's still a process where there haven't been parts made for now, at this point, since before the Chinese New Year, Apple is missing parts of the supply chain. So they've already talked about in their in their earnings guidance. Right. They said that the iPhone is going to be constrained in some markets. Yeah. Apple has always been a just-in-time kind of manufacturer. They don't keep three months of stock like they used to in the 90s. Right. They keep three weeks of stock. Right. So this is, this is going to be a story we're going to keep hearing about. This is going to be a story that we're going to see ramifications in April. And, and we talked earlier in the show about an event in March. Right. And I'm, if you had asked me three weeks ago, I would have said, oh yeah, there's absolutely going to be a full on press event in March. I'm not sure there is right now. Mm. I'm not sure that things aren't going to be, oh, oh, and here's whatever the iPhone SE2 is going to be called in a press release, or here's a new iPad Pro in a press release. Right. Just because they'll have more granular control over instead of having to dump all the stuff on one day and say, and this stuff all ships in a week. Right. Now they can say like on March 10th at one o'clock in the afternoon, they could say in the iPhone SE ships on the 13th. And they can say later in the month, they can say on the 24th that 
the iPad Pro ships on the 27th. That's true. And, you know, there was that interesting week where they actually had a press release three or four days in a row, you know, where they announced yeah. the new AirPods and something else on Tuesday. So, yeah, that was that was much earlier in the year. But, yeah, that was a crazy week. That was the iPod Touch and Air and the AirPods. Right. AirPods. M- the minor refresh. Yes, yes. That was, yeah, that week was nutty. And don't forget the 16-inch MacBook Pro. In November was announced with a press release. That's true. Boom, here yeah. you go. They, yeah, it does seem like they're trying to get away from so many events. But the only reason I think they might still do it is with Apple TV and all the efforts they're putting there, maybe an Apple TV hardware refresh plus iPad refresh plus maybe some miscellaneous things here and there. This way, there's no hardware being announced at WWDC in June, you know, so everyone's expectations are set, but they could, they could do all press releases and I wouldn't put it past them nowadays. Yeah. I think a lot of this is going to have to do with what exactly is constrained out of China. Right. Exactly. So do you have, do you have any thoughts about, you know, they manufacture the Mac pro here in, here in the States. I believe it's a Mm -hmm. manufacturing facility in Texas. Mm -hmm. Moving something so big as the iPhone production somewhere else just seems like it would be untenable for a long time. They are, there are already facilities in India. There are already not, not enough to supply the world. Right, right, exactly. There are, there are looking at production in South Korea. They're looking at production in Vietnam and, and Thailand. But how far away, how far away and how far along the Vietnam and Thailand are is another question. And what exactly the India plants are going to manufacture is also a good question. Yeah. So it's not this year. Getting these plants ramped up is not practical this year because, again, like Tim Cook has said multiple times, the entire supply chain, all the parts, all the lenses, all the silicon, all the bits are in China. Right. And, you know, think about all the individual parts that are being manufactured, not just the phone itself, but like you're saying, the lens, the silicon, everything, Mm -hmm. those have to be manufactured over there too. Yep. And so it's all the way down the line. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see, especially with this new iPhone SE slash iPhone 9 that might be announced soon. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what those lead times will be, like when you order, shipping, and all that kind of stuff. Well, right now we're already seeing, we're seeing some constraints, not, I was about to say that they're not huge constraints, but they are. We're seeing some constraints on, on custom builds. Like for instance, right now, today, I just checked this just before we started recording, and this may change obviously by even tomorrow. If you want an i7 Mac mini with 128 gig SSD, Hmm. for instance, that's a custom configuration. And if you want that, you have to wait until March 5th. Wow. If you want a boxed one, you can go to the Apple store today or you can have Apple ship it to you for tomorrow. But if you want any of these custom builds, you're going to be waiting. You know, that's funny because I was actually looking at the 16 inch MacBook Pro because, you know, I like to go on there every once in a while and just configure something for the heck of it. Yeah, like you do. Like like you do. And I did see, yeah, there's some builds, especially the custom ones that have like Mm -hmm. two terabyte and higher SSDs or 32 and higher gigs of RAM. It actually said three weeks on some models. And so that's definitely longer than it's been. You know, recently I've been able to order Macs for work or anything like that, and it would come in a week's time. And so, yeah, I'd be curious, especially the ramifications going into the summer, if those things are going to actually lead times increase, you know, we'll have to see. We're still early on this. Part of the severity of this is because it's on top of an already very busy flu season in China. Right. Let's not forget the flu in the United States, which will kill more people than, than this coronavirus will. Right. But we have a reasonably good handle on the flu. We're just starting to tickle around the edges of the coronavirus, for instance. Right. right. And why I don't think this is... I, you know, I don't think we're looking at any kind of zombie apocalyptic movie on this or anything like that. <laughs> right. I, I do think that we're not at the end of the story. I don't think, I think we're just now halfway through as far as from an impact of the supply chain. Yeah. 
And uh, obviously, this is a humanitarian issue more than it is a technology issue, but you, you, I, they go hand in hand. It, it's th- There will be a worldwide impact to this. It's just to what aspects of our lives will vary. Yeah. All right, Mike, we have an awesome new sponsor this week, and I'd love for you to tell me about it. The sponsor is called Feels, and I know you have personal experience with this, so why don't you tell me about it? I do. Um, I Well, specifically, I have a great deal of experience with CBD oil. Yeah. And before you get all crazy about this, this is this is the non-psychoreactive component right. of this. this is, there's no THC. This is not a product you or anyone you know will be able to use to get high or anything like that. CBD oil has a number of medicinal benefits that are... We're kind of in the early stage of CBD still, but that said, my daughter's been suffering from an epileptic condition since she was three months old, mm. and we haven't had a lot of luck with seizure control with anything, and she's been on Keppra most of her life on an adult dose of Keppra, which is a very strong anti-epileptic drug, and she has been on a strain called Charlotte's Web for some time, mm. and that's you know the diesel strength industrial grade for seizure control wow. because it's she's just on the, the high concentration, and it's a lot of it, but- She's been on that for about six years and there's, there's definitely a difference from when she's got the dose versus when she doesn't. Yeah. So while, you know, while I was a scientist in a previous life, there's empirical evidence that says that she has better seizure control when she's on the CBD, which is why we're still on. But along the way, I decided that, you know, let's, let's take a look and see if this is going to help me because apple and cider is not. A turnoff job. It's not something that I can shut the door of the office and say, okay, we're done for the day on this. You know, we're not a, we're not hundred strong or anything like that. And the apple beat is a big beat. It takes a lot of effort and a lot of surveillance to keep things going. And so when it is time to go to bed, it can sometimes take a little bit of time to wind down, which is one of the reasons why I started trying it. And just a couple of drops, I shifted to the feels product, not all that long ago, and just a couple of drops and it's not a knockout drug, but it just kind of smooths the edges off and is allowing me to fall asleep a lot quicker. Yeah. So that's my personal experience with that. And I've also heard that people use CBD oil for things like anxiety mm-hmm. and uh, even all different kinds of ages of people using it to great effect. Yeah, I don't have a lot of personal experience with that. I have seen some people and I have talked to some people that say that it has that. I fortunately, I'm not an anxiety sufferer, really. I, I think the Navy beat that out of me in, in the <laughs> 90s. But yes, I, I can absolutely attest that the Feels product is is helping me get to sleep faster at night and by sometimes by almost an hour. And that's huge. Yeah, that's great. Well, where can people go to find more information about the Feels product? You can become a member today by going to feels.com slash Apple Insider, and they'll give you 50% off your first order of free shipping. Now, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash Apple Insider for that 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Well, that's awesome. Well, check that out. Feels.com slash Apple Insider. And we'd love to hear your stories about how it might help you in the future. Yeah, give it a shot. I, I, you know, here's the thing. I would actually personally like to hear from you if you're taking it for something or you've been advised to take it, but do talk to your doctor about it first. All right. Well, just let's wrap up with a couple small news items. Uh, there was an uh, amazing stories trailer, which is going to be an Apple TV original series. They're really pushing hard. I don't know if you got a chance to see the trailer. It looked interesting. It looked pretty cool. Did you watch the original when it when it aired back? Oh God, like thirty five years ago. I, I did not. I'm sorry. I have to say it was it was before my time. But uh, no. Yeah, I wish I could say it was before <laughs> mine, but it, but it's not. But what'd you think? Um, I I like the trailer. It feels very much like the original series did. It it, it absolutely screams Steven Spielberg, even yeah. though he's producing it. He's not necessarily doing everything involved with the show. Right. You know, as far as Apple TV Plus goes, I'm kind of mixed on that. I, yeah. I feel like 
I almost feel like I would have rather had them build more content before they released something like this, right. which is why I think they did the year trial for people now. Oh, yeah. Well, and you can still buy a Mac now and get a year free of Apple TV. I mean, they're giving it away. I do not think that one year is going to continue because let's face it, content is expensive. True. And it looks like, did you watch any of the kind of the first wave of TV shows that came out with Apple TV Plus? I did. I've watched For Work and For Pleasure just about everything. Uh, yeah. They are very well produced. Yeah. I, I I very much like For All Mankind. That was my favorite too. I wasn't a big fan of the morning show. I watched it all. My initial impressions after the first couple episodes were not haters and people that wanted it to fail, like their producers said. I just didn't feel like it brought anything new to the storytelling other than some 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 big name actors playing these roles. Yeah. I, I feel like I, and I appreciate that it was written out of a book that was, that was done before the me too movement. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I appreciate that this is one of the originating materials, but I also feel like this is a story I've heard a dozen times in modern media. And I, I do not think it necessarily needed to be retold on Apple TV mm -hmm. plus, but the Snoopy show is fantastic. Okay. <laughs> the, you, you put anything with a Muppet on it and I'm going to watch yeah, it. Yeah. So, for the, sure. so the, the helpsters is good. Yeah. The C man, I wanted to love C. I couldn't get into it. I feel like the first season of C, we're going to look back and say, okay, now I understand why they did that. And I, I feel like this is foundational Yeah. in, and I'm going to, I'm going to break out something from the nineties from 90 sci-fi. I feel very much like it's the first season of Babylon five. Oh man. Okay. Where they set a lot of pieces up and yeah. you'd be watching a, a, an episodic TV show very much like Star Trek, the next generation was at the time where. There wasn't a lot of continuity until there was. Right, right. And I feel very much like that's what we're going to end up with in this case. I, I don't think comparing it to Game of Thrones is fair. Right. I understand that Steven Silver made that comparison and just about everybody has made that comparison. Right. But I don't think that, in my opinion, I feel that it needs to be judged on its own. And I feel like we're not going to get a full judge on it for a couple of years. Yeah. And again, this is Apple's literal first foray into creating. Yeah. TV yep. shows and it is any great TV show. You know, if you look at the earliest episodes, you know, they grow into their kind of, they get the momentum, you know, after the first couple of seasons. So we'll see. Yeah. For All Mankind was my favorite. I definitely watched every episode of that and I'm looking forward to that coming back. Uh, but they definitely have to do something great. Uh, you know, you got the Mandalorian and all the Disney plus originals now too, to compete with. Man, did I love the Mandalorian. Oh yeah, oh. man. It was great. Loved it. But. Oh boy. <laughs> for all mankind. Yes. Ronald D. Moore said that he had a plan in Battlestar Galactica. Uh -huh. He did not have a plan in Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> sure. And I, I, I do not want that to happen here too. I, I'm hoping that this is a yeah. little better plotted out than what they did for the last two seasons of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. And I'm also interested to see what happens with Apple. Like just today, just an hour before we recorded this, Shantaram has stopped production because they don't have, sh they don't have scripts. Right. I saw that. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see exactly Apple's response to this as their production schedule has to shift because of production problems. Right. And you know, my mind always goes to it. Hopefully this does not become a distraction to fixing the files app on iOS. You know what I mean? Like this is a lot of time and energy they're going to have to spend on producing original content. And it's, you know, a little, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard variations of that for a very long time. Yeah. I've heard, well, gee, the iPhone is so good. They're leaving the Mac behind, neglecting the fact that Intel didn't have anything real to put in the Right, machines. exactly. So I, I think Apple has enough money and enough people That's that true. there is no aspect of their business that distracts from any other aspect of their business. That's fair enough. And they did come up with that Mac Pro and I actually got one on hand and it's, it's great. Yeah. Andrew, uh, yeah. As, as a teaser of content to come, uh, Andrew has moved from his MacBook Pro 
to the Mac Pro for his video production. Ooh. And before not very long, he will be talking to all of us about how his workflows have changed and how things are better or worse on the Mac Pro. Oh, We're man. still early in that process. We're still talking to a bunch of pros. Who are I mean, believe it or not, a bunch of the pro markets. And if you go back a while, we did interviews with people who are looking at buying a Mac Pro early. Yeah. People are still developing their opinions on this machine for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And it, but I mean, let's be frank, it's been a long time since Apple's offered a machine like this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the use case that I have it for is actually in a workplace and it's for video recording and playback of high quality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for that one use case, it does great. And we did the Mac Pro specifically for the PCI card slots and the integration yeah. of video hardware. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really looking forward to hearing Andrew's take on it. And just to wrap up the Apple TV thing is too, you're totally right. So Apple is saying the amazing story series is from executive producer Steven Spielberg. So we'll see, you know, be curious how much hand he actually has in it. Oh man, it's pretty clear from the trailers that he's got a good steering hand on the till there. Yeah, he, it's, sure, for sure. There are some very Spielbergian angles just in the trailer. Yeah. So... The last little piece I wanted to touch on, there's the rumor of the Apple Tags, which would be like a location device that Apple is actually going to sell so you can put it in your bag or whatever. And it works like the Tile devices. And uh, I'm curious uh, what it's going to look like. It integrates with Find My app and all that kind of stuff. I had a Tile once and it was interesting. I never really found that I, I made great use of it. But I don't know. How do you feel about that kind of location tracking little device thing? Interested at all? I feel that the ultra-wideband technology in the iPhone is what really is going to make this sing. Yeah, that's true. Bluetooth beacons have been great, but Bluetooth is Bluetooth. Yeah, exactly. Like just this morning, I was fighting with my keyboard to resync with my MacBook Pro setup. Yeah. I'm concerned that with when I've used the tile, it's been decent. But there have been times with my tiles, like, oh, nope, not in the house. Right. Don't know where it is. But, <laughs> right. you know, it, it, it's right here, tile. It, you know, yeah. I appreciate that's not their fault. I appreciate that's Bluetooth. Right. But I, I feel that this is another one of those products that Apple looked at about a decade ago or how many years tile came out and said, hmm, right. that's interesting. But the technology is kind of iffy right now. And ultra wideband, ultra wideband will give that, yeah. this will give that to them. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, the promise of Tile was, you know, if everyone was using Tile or if everyone was using a specific product, yep. then if you have one in your suitcase, yep. well, at the airport, all the other tiles will talk to it and, you know, you'll be able to find out where it is. Yep. And that just didn't really happen, you know, because it didn't really become pervasive. But again, when Apple gets behind something and it can really be a pervasive technology, it could change it. You know, if I don't know, if they somehow give these little tiles away with some Mac purchases or some other piece of hardware and every, or at least a large percentage of Apple users have one in their bag, it might be more useful as far as that, like that crowdsource location uh, finding stuff. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I agree. There's a lot of potential with ultra wideband. Apple has a number of patents on ad hoc networks, right. like an iPhone talking to an iPhone, talking to an iPhone, as opposed to an iPhone talking to a cell tower, talking to an iPhone. Right. And I feel like those are related to this technology and ultra wideband allows for this kind of peer to peer communication anyway. Right. So this is, this is a new technology. People are asking me if I feel like this is like the air power and I don't think it is. Uh, I feel <laughs> yeah. like that this is farther along than the air power was. We've talked, obviously we've talked about the air power at some length, Yeah. but I, I do feel that given the hooks that we saw in software last year, yeah. back in October last year, I, I feel that this is something that Apple's just got kind of hanging out. But again, if you, if you got to assume that this isn't going to be something that Apple buyer is going to buy one of, it's going to be like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to put this on my keys. I'm going to put this on this other thing. Right. 
So I think that this, again, is something else that could potentially be held up big time by production problems in China. That's true. And what they price it at, you know, please. Yeah. I mean, not $50 a tile. Yeah. That's a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last real price surprise anyone really got from Apple was, was the Apple, the third TV, the third generation Apple TV at 69 bucks and the original iPad at four ninety nine. Right. But that's. Two price surprises over a decade. Yeah. And it was, I mean, Apple's been doing okay. You know, when the 16-inch MacBook Pro came out, they, yep. they priced it well enough. So it was actually a little under some of the recent 15-inch pricing, depending on your configuration. Yeah. So. It, it's uh, my, um, my, I've got the i9 2018. And when we got it, it was $4,000. Right. Right. And right. the At retail price, and we often have prices significantly lower than this, it's twenty four ninety nine to get in a 16-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah. And we've seen prices as low as 2100 bucks. So Right. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see if it comes out. Yep. Well, anyway, I wanted to close the show. You know, we might do this more often. Again, we'd love to hear your feedback on it. But some kind of like just app or what we use in daily life kind of in app-wise on our phones and iPads and such. And I was actually curious. A new Notes app just came out. I don't know if you saw it, but it's called Noto. And it's just another kind of rich text, note-taking app. And, you know, there's as many note-taking apps as there are developers who can make them because everyone has kind of different preferences for their note-taking and all that kind of stuff. And so I was just curious, you know, what do you use, Mike, as a note-taking app on your different devices? Do you use one that syncs or just use stock notes? I just use a stock note, but a, a, a developer that I want to talk about that I that we, we were talking about iPads much, much earlier, an app that I have made sure that I have always bought from day one is Goodreader. It is absolutely the best PDF reader and you can even do notes on it if you really wanted to. Yeah. No, GoodNotes is great. I use that and that's my kids use it on their iPads for doing like worksheets and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is a great app. I personally, I like the built-in notes, but I, I write a lot in Markdown and I like to be able to export that as HTML or as rich text. And so I, I actually use Bear as my main note-taking app across devices and syncing wise. It's got great markdown support and export features and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I would recommend Bear. You know, you can also check out this Noto app. Again, everyone has so many different preferences for their note-taking apps, but love to hear what you guys use for your note-taking apps, what you use on your iPhone, on your Mac, on your iPad, or if you have a recommendation for us, maybe a note-taking app that's lesser known and we haven't seen yet. Yeah. You can send us an email or you can drop a line in the forums. Yeah, so let's talk about it. if you want to tweet at us, Mike, and where can people get a hold of you and send you comments? Well, here's the thing with the Twitter, right? My <laughs> I use my name for my Twitter. So yeah. it's you know, if if you can find me if that's what you really want. But you know, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna spell it out here because we'll be here longer than this feel is already taken. <laughs> gotcha. Um but I don't pop on the Apple Insider podcast that much because the day shift can get a little frenetic sometimes. For sure. Um, however, I do have my own podcast over at spacejavelin.com and we, and we, uh, air our episodes on Monday mornings. Very cool. So we'll put links to our social media in show notes. I'm Steven Robles everywhere. And you'll find links to our social media where you can email us comments and we'll link to Mike's podcast as well. And you can email us at news at appleinsider.com. You can give us feedback there. You can comment on the podcast post as it goes up. We'd love to hear your feedback again, what you would like to hear on the show moving forward, any topics, any apps. Yep. And we would really appreciate if you could go to your Apple Podcast app or iTunes on your Mac and give us a five-star rating and review with a comment for the show. Those ratings help us get discovered by more people looking for Apple content. And hey, comment in. If you don't know what to say in the comment, it helps if you do the comments. So just, hey, comment what note-taking app you use, and that would be fine. We'll read them there. Yeah, that'll work. We're so glad you joined us for the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm glad to be back with you and look forward to seeing you in the future. And we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye.